Good morning. It's good to be together today. I appreciate each of you being here, especially those of you that are visiting with us. You're welcome here, and we invite you back anytime that you can be here. I thank Danny for the prayer on my behalf, too. You know, I was thinking about those prayers that we offer for our speakers. As a, as a young man, you kind of solicit those prayers more on the, the need of being nervous or talking in front of people or, or scared you're going to say something stupid or whatever. And as you, as you get older, you, I think some of that the need for that shifts from those types of things to just understanding the responsibility and what you want to accomplish with what you're doing. And so those prayers are always welcome and uh, certainly would echo my sentiment as well. I hope that you will be benefited from the study, that you will be uplifted and and, uh, be able to serve God better in the future as we study these things. I've been studying a little bit in Proverbs chapter four about guarding your heart. I was studying this topic. It reminded me of a time where I took a business trip to Washington, D.C. and kind of had class throughout the day, every day. And at night, I was doing the whirlwind tour of all the monuments and statues and all the cool stuff there is to see. And um, my hotel and class was right uh, across the street from Arlington Cemetery. So I spent a few nights there and just kind of walking through there and looking at all the things like Kennedy's grave and the things that you see there. And I just timed it just right one night to see to get to see the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and it's a very impressive thing for an American to see, uh, obviously, and very sombering. But I was thinking about those uh, men that guard that tomb as I was reading about this and studying about guarding your heart and just thinking about, you know, what it means to guard something. And I want to think about that this morning as we guard our heart. You know, I was... Those men take their job very seriously. If you've ever heard anything about that, we had somebody preach um, kind of significantly about that here a while back and talk about what all they do. But we're not going to spend much time on that this morning. It's, I don't want to distract from the, the Scripture side of that. But they're very serious about their jobs, and it's kind of a come rain or shine or snow or whatever type of a job that they do that job with seriousness. And it's a very uh, somber experience if you go there and see that. And... I think the as you think about the different types of people that guard things, whether it's someone like that or a bodyguard for a celebrity or a security guard at a mall, you know, the different there's different levels of severity on the things they're guarding, but they all kind of are charged with the same task in what they do. And we want to study just for a little bit about guarding the heart this morning in Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter four and verse twenty-three, he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Now that word keep there, uh, if you look up the translation, the different translations on it, the definitions on it, I think guard is probably the best actual translation of that word there. And it's kind of interesting if you look at the different translations, I put the NIV version up here as well. He says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And maybe... With this verse, more so than many of the verses we read, if you look at it across different translations of the, of the Bible, um, it's worded very differently. And so it, all of them obviously convey the same sense of meaning and things like that. But we want to think about the guarding aspect of that this morning. And I think that NIV translation may be, we don't say that often, but that may be the best translation in this case, at least with the message we want to convey this morning. He said, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And I think in one simple verse in a book of the Bible that's meant to give us a lot of practical application about our lives and the things that we do day to day in our lives, it's a very very, um, powerful and important statement 
that he says we should do this above all else. And to me, that indicates a lot of priority and gravity around this idea of guarding our heart. So we want to look at that for just a bit this morning. You know, if you think through all of the things that Christians are challenged to do in terms of godly living and the way that we're supposed to exercise self-control and all the things that we're asked to do, what do you think the most important discipline is? You know, maybe I should have asked that question before I said what the message of the morning is, but I think given the way it's described here that this one, if not the most important, is right up there with the things that we should do. And so I want, to, want us to give, the, give it the, the proper attention and, and think about what it means to guard our heart and what we can do to, to actually accomplish that and why, why is it an important thing. Think this morning a little bit about some of the sins that you struggle with personally. Maybe even think about the single biggest sin that you struggle with personally. And think about what it does in your life. Think about what kind of space it occupies in your heart. What kind of real estate does it take up in your heart and your mind? And how do you deal with that? And it's something that should be very personal to each of us because we all have struggles. We all have things that we deal with and challenges that we struggle with. And I think if we can learn how to guard our heart properly, it'll help us push those things aside. It'll help us learn to do better on those things. Think about those things this morning as we study. What is the heart? Kind of sounds like a silly question, doesn't it? Kind of intended to poll some people about this before just to kind of get a test, and I didn't get around to it. It seems like a silly question, what is the heart? You know, Danny, even in his prayer this morning, prayed several times about us opening our heart, reading our heart to talk about God's word. What does that mean? You know, we can point to a spot in our chest where there's a physical organ that's called the same thing, but that's not what we're talking about when we read about this in the scriptures. If you look at the definition of that as well, it can mean a physical heart, but he also talks about in many, many places in the scriptures that it represents our feelings or our intellect, or it's even described here as the center of everything. You might think about it as our conscience. You know, we think about the different things we feel and emotions that we have and what our conscience tells us in certain situations. And you really have to look um, at multiple places in the scriptures to really get a good definition of that. It's not one that you can just go to and say, that's exactly what the heart is. But in general, that's what we're talking about, this mindset and our thought process and our, and our uh, consciousness and our intellect. And the definition is not really given in one single verse, but it's spread a, littered all throughout the scriptures the way he talks about the heart and how it behaves and, and what its problems are and the response to those problems. And that's what we want to identify a little bit this morning. But it's clear that it's a significant thing. It's clear that guarding it is a significant and important topic. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 4, Jesus said, but knowing, uh, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you think evil in your hearts? You know, he challenged people many times in the New Testament throughout his ministry. He challenged people with, um, you know, separating the physical and the spiritual. And, um, you know, the different way people looked at things and, and the different motives that they had behind things. You know, the Pharisees, they would often know the scriptures well, but he challenged them on their heart. And was it in the right place? Were they doing things with the proper motives? And as he, as he questioned them here, I, I want to point out the direct link between their thoughts and their heart. You know, this evil that he's talking about is produced because of their mindset. It's a thought process. They're thinking this evil in their heart. 
So we talk a lot about warm, fuzzy feelings and the emotions that we feel when we fall in love and all those kinds of things. But I want us to really understand that it's really connected to our mind and our thought process. And Jesus directly connected that here. So when we're reading about the heart, think about that. You know, if you think back to our opening passage, Proverbs chapter four, verse number 23, he said, guard your heart with diligence because out of it are the issues of life. And to me, that's an indicator that there's a heart problem that exists. And the scriptures teach that. And the need to guard the heart wouldn't exist if there weren't problems that came out of the heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, I think, illustrates this very well, where he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. There's a reason that we're challenged to guard our hearts. And the reason is that because our, our intellect and our mind and our thoughts are the root of all of our problems. When we have issues in our life, it starts in our heart. It starts with the things that we're putting our energy into and the things that we're thinking on and the things that we're dwelling about. And he said it's deceitful above all things. Doesn't that sound like something that we should give attention to guarding and developing a plan for how we can deal with that and not be reckless about that? It's the root of all our problems and it'll trick us into sinful behaviors and sinful actions and it'll lead us down paths if we think about you know, the way of man, it'll lead us to paths that are not good paths. And so it's up to us to build in a defense mechanism for that. And how do we defend that? And who do we go to for help with that in defending that so that we don't make those bad choices and it doesn't lead us to sinful behavior? Think back to the days of Noah. You know, we talk about all the sermons that we hear about, about the flood and the events that occurred there. And, and, you know, what certain people did right in that situation, how Noah was a righteous man, but how everybody else was evil and wicked. Why was that? It was because every intention of their heart, of the thoughts of their heart were evil. Think about that. It was on their minds, what they thought about day in and day out, their minds were in evil places. And it's such a, it's such an easy thing to do. You know, you think about, you talk about kids in school and how some kids are able to focus easily on school, and then you might hear about somebody that says, well, my kid's a daydreamer. You know, they're just, school's not for them, and they daydream. And your mind wanders, and, you know, you th- you're thinking about a, a topic one minute, and your mind starts to drift a little bit, and you're wondering, and all of a sudden, 10 minutes of a sermon's gone by, and you wonder where your mind went while they were going another direction. How easy it is for our mind to get sidetracked, not just in those situations, but in everyday life with the things that we think about and what's important to us. And we're thinking about jobs and we're thinking about school and we're thinking about problems that we have in our life and problems that we have in relationships and struggles that we have. And before long, we've gone through our entire week and we haven't given God a second thought. And our hearts are just a little bit weaker than it was the week before. And then over time, over the course of a year, we haven't given God any thought. And we're in a, we're in a much worse place than we were previously. The Lord saw the wickedness of man and he destroyed the earth over that. Let's take this seriously. Let's think about what it means to have our heart in the right place. And I often wonder sometimes when you read, when you read here about how God looked down on the wickedness of man and, it, and he regretted that he had created man and how 
disappointing that is to think that your actions could be part of that. And I often wonder how God looks at us today, if he looks down with regret, or if there's some glimmer of hope there in, in his people, how they behave and how, what their mindset is on and what they're thinking about. Let's think about that, and let's understand that there is a heart problem that needs solved. So what does it mean to guard the heart? You know, you may have seen these pictures of these um, people that guard the queen. I don't even know what their official title is. I didn't do significant research on that, but I think about this because you see pictures of these guys from time to time and videos of them where you see people, they're so stoic, and, you know, they're, they're trained to be that way, and you see the people that are go up to them and try to do everything they can without laying a hand on them to make them budge or crack a smile or whatever it is. You know, and I think about, you know, what it means to be a guard and you think about these men, you know, they're very, they're very well trained to do the thing that they're um, supposed to do. They're very focused in doing what they're supposed to do. In many cases, they're armed to take care of specific situations that might arise. They have all of these different defense mechanisms that are part of guarding the queen or guarding the castle or wherever it is they, they all guard. But they're very focused in that. And I think that's something that we should give some good thought to. How do, we, how do we be focused and how do we be very specific and mindful about guarding the heart? The first thing that I think is important in that, given that we've established what the heart is and the link to the heart and the mind, is that we need to be mindful of controlling our thought life. Controlling our thought life is, is key to many, many things as a Christian and really is kind of the root of many things like self-control and discipline and all those kind of things that we talk about. And as we read through um, this chapter in Proverbs chapter four as well, um, specifically, there's many things that talk about this and the, the mindset, but the, but the scriptures talk about it a lot in general, the importance of controlling the thought life. And I think the key thing here is that we need to be intentional with that, right? It's easy, you know, when you're, when you're sitting in a classroom learning English and you couldn't care less about English, it's easy for your mind to drift to the last episode of Star Wars or whatever the new Marvel movie is or whatever your other interests are in life. So you have to be very intentional and very focused about controlling your thought life. Those things are a little bit lighter in conversation, but when your mind starts to drift to things that tempt you or things that you struggle with or things that you lust after, that's when it becomes more difficult and that's when it becomes more important to kind of wrangle that in and have some control over it. Proverbs 23 and verse number seven, for as, a, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. There's many, many, many scripture examples, but there's also many sort of worldly, secular examples of what the power of thought is. Many people have written books over this. There's all kinds of bestsellers. There's all kinds of studies being done on what the thought life does to us. And it's very, very clear that your thought life controls your actions. And the Bible teaches that. As you thinketh in your heart, so are you. The things that you're dwelling on, the things that occupy your mind and, t- and, and and set up shop there are the things that you're going to act on. If that's wanting money, you're going to spend your time thinking about how to get more money. If that's wanting to climb the career ladder, you're going to put time and effort into thinking about the things that you need to do to climb the career ladder. If it's education, if it's entertainment, whatever the case is, that's where your mind's going to dwell. 
As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And again, there are many secular examples that, that support this idea as well. You know, if you look at some of the psychological um, or psychology-related um, studies on this type of thing, they, they talk about kind of a progression in that, right? Your, your thought life leads you to certain feelings, and then your feelings lead to certain behaviors, and then those behaviors lead to certain consequences ultimately. There was an example given if you, you might be laying in bed at night and you hear a, a loud bang. Well, maybe the wife's thought goes, oh, great, we've got somebody breaking into our house, and that leads to a feeling of panic, and then that panic leads you to freeze in your bed, and then the consequences of that. You get a bad night's sleep, and you, there's no rest, and you wake up feeling groggy, and, and the husband hears the same loud bang, and he thought, the neighbor's stupid cat again knocked over something on the patio, and that maybe led to a feeling of annoyance, but he got over it quick, and so then he was able to get a good night's sleep, and then the next day he was well-rested. Two very different thought patterns about something trivial in this case, but hopefully it kind of helps illustrate the point. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I think there's um, a reason that the scriptures teach so much about self-control and sobriety and having a clear mind. And that's because the damage that happens when you don't have that is often irreparable. The damage of not having a, a clear mind and making decisions and, and making choices, it's tough to overcome. You know, the, wor- the wording that he used here, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, that reminds me of Romans chapter 12 when he says, don't be conformed to the things of the world, but be transformed. But how does that transformation happen? By renewing of your mind. It's about thoughts. It's about your mindset and the things that you think about and where your mind is and the things that are important to you. Be transformed by renewing your mind. And that's what he said here, preparing your minds for action. See the direct link between thought and action? It's always hand in hand. Actions are always preceded by thoughts. And so if we can guard our heart by learning to control that thought process, learning to control what's in our mind, how do we do do a better job of getting rid of the evil thoughts like Jesus criticized them for having? How do we do a better job of having the right kind of thoughts? And then that leads us to produce leads to a product of better actions. It will transform our mind. The second thing is that speech should be an indicator for us is this. Speech should be a gauge for us, for our heart. You know, there's a lot of um, sermons that happened about talking about the tongue. You think about all the scriptures in James that talk about taming the tongue and the damage that the tongue can do and all of those types of things. You know, not only is it such an evil thing and a potentially dangerous thing, it's, it should also be an indicator for us. And, and I think it will help us to think about our speech that way. Not only the damage it can cause, we know that. That's, that's been well established, the damage that your tongue can do. If you've lived any time on this earth, you know you've proven that out. You can stick your foot in your mouth in many different ways and cause problems, hurt people, all of those kinds of things. But let's think about it a little earlier in the process. It's always, a, it's always a retrospective thing. I shouldn't have said that, right? 
Well, let's look at it a little earlier. Maybe it, use it as an indicator or a gauge in, in where our heart is at or what kind of thoughts are coming out of our heart. We bought Trevor and Kelsey's old car for Bentley and Trevor was really concerned about making sure that that thing was in okay shape before he sold it to us so we didn't get it a month down the road and it fell apart and we blamed him and everything. And so he said, there's this one warning light that comes on from time to time and it has something to do with emission, you know, something that neither he or I knew anything about, but we talked to Will about and he said, you know, Will can do something and reset it and then it's good. So when we decided we were going to buy it, I, I took it for a drive one night and I said, hey, I'm going to run it by Will's and just have him look it over. And so ran it by Will's and he plugged his little machine into it and said, yeah, that, that uh, check engine light that come on, it's not one thing wrong. There's like seven things wrong with it. And so I texted Trevor and said, hey, FYI, he said, there's not one thing. It's not that one tree real thing. There's like seven things wrong. It could be a big deal. And of course, Trevor fixed all those things and made all that right. But the point I'm trying to make is there's a gauge there in that car for a reason. And in Trevor's mind, that was one little trivial thing behind the problem. When the truth is there were six or seven things that if that kept going, you could have some significant problems. And our speech should be an indicator for us on the heart that way. We should watch our speech. And when that gauge lights up, we should go check the engine. We should go check what our heart, what is on our heart. Because we might just think it's this little thing that needs reset once every six months or once a year. And there might be seven or eight things underlying that have snuck up on us and we don't even realize. Our speech can be a really good indicator of the problems of the heart and we should pay attention to it. In Proverbs chapter four, in our verse, right after he says, guard your heart, he says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. He goes straight into talking about where our speech is at. And of course, the scriptures are littered with things that talk about that as well. In Luke chapter six, there's a good example given. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know, we, we talk about these, um, these scriptures a lot in the, in the context of bearing fruit, right? What kind of fruit we bear. And we kind of glance over the last part of that where he says, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The things that come out of your mouth reflect what's in your heart. How many times have you heard, uh, mostly probably a preacher say at the end of a sermon, you know, we don't know the hearts and minds of everybody that's here today, you know, in offering an invitation. And, you know, while there's some truth to that, I don't know everything that's going on in your head and in your mind. The, the truth is, at the end of the day, many times we do kind of know people's hearts and their minds. All you have to do is listen to them talk. And the ironic part of that is people are more than happy to help you with that. People are more than happy to open that up and let you have an insight into their heart. And so we should watch that. It should be a gauge for us. We know people's personalities. We know the things that are important to them. If you talk to me, you know I like the Cubs. You know they failed miserably this year, probably. But we hear what people say. We hear the things they talk about. We know what's important to them. And we, I don't know everything on your heart and mind. You don't know everything on mine. But you know generally the things that are important to me. You may know generally the things that I'm struggling with. You know the things that are frustrating me. And we know that about each other. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And with this understanding, I think it's important for us to understand that guarding our hearts means guarding our speech and watching it and using it as a gauge for fixing our heart when things are going the wrong direction. One more example, when he's talking about the Pharisees, it's hard not to pick on the Pharisees about these types of things, but Jesus picked on them frequently too, I guess. And we should, you know, we, we, we have this negative view of them. In many cases, I think we should look at it and say, you know, why are they used so much as the example? Probably because we do, we do the same types of things that they do. In Matthew chapter 15, and verse number 10, it says, he called the people to them and, and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. The disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? And he answered, every plant that my, that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone and they, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain, to the, explain the parable to us. He said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. The Pharisees are probably the perfect scriptural example of of a group of people that have a heart problem. They're criticized for that many times. You know, they, they they knew the law. They knew what it meant. To be a religious person, your heart was far from him in the, in the way that they behave. They're such an easy target for us. You think about the example that he used here and how it's, you know, it's such a crude example in, in many ways. He's like, look, you, you put something in your mouth, it goes through your stomach and it's expelled. You know, it's kind of disgusting, but it's kind of a fact of life, right? But the stuff that comes out of your mouth, it's much more significant. The stuff that comes out is what defiles a man and, and, and it shows what's on your heart. And those things, you know, it doesn't lead to you saying something and hurting somebody's feelings. That can happen. But look at the things it leads to. Murder and adultery and sexual immorality. This, this is not a trivial thing. The things that are on the heart and come out are what defile a person. You know, we think about all the, all the uh, attention that is given in our society to nutrition and, you know, health and all that kind of stuff that's billions and billions of dollars in the industry around supplements and dieting and exercise, all those things. And, and the amount of time and effort people spend thinking about what goes into their body, right? They're not eating carbs right now and they're using certain supplements or maybe it's a health reason, right? So some of it's, somebody's a diabetic and can't have sugars and all that kind of stuff. And the amount of time and effort we give to that, whether it's for health or for vanity or for whatever, And yet we spend so little time thinking about what comes the other way out of the mouth. So little time worrying about the things we say. We're so flippant with our attitudes about the speech that we have and what we say to and about other people and about what occupies our thoughts and and what we talk about. Let's do a better job of that. And let's make sure speech is an indicator for us, is a gauge and a warning light for us. When our heart's going astray, the things that we talk about and what's always on our mind and what we're discussing, let's make sure that we use that to, to reset the course. The final thing that I want to think about is striving after wisdom. You know, in terms of guarding the heart, he talks a lot about this in Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to read quite a bit of that here. 
because much of it is actually addressing the idea of, of what it means to look after wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 1, he says, Hear, O sons, a father's instructions, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a, beautiful, uh, a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and, and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. It's a little bit lengthy. I wanted to read it all, though, because he hits it in almost every single verse, the idea of godly wisdom and what it means to that. And we talk a lot about studying the Scriptures, and everybody recognizes the need to study the Scriptures and learn God's Word but it's more than information. If I think back to my college days, I took some introductory computer science classes and you learn all the basic type stuff in there for programming and things like that. One of the things they talk about is the difference in data and information. You know, there's lots of data points about whatever it is you're, you're trying to study about, right? All kinds of data points can come in. Information is a little more structured in that, right? So you take that data and you put it together in a way that's meaningful to help you make decisions. And then at some point along the way, you, maybe you build an application which lets you actually apply the information that you have. And I think when we're talking about what it means to be wise and what it means to have wisdom, that's kind of a good metaphor for what we're talking about here. There's lots of people that, can, that know scriptures, there's lots of people. The Pharisees are another example of that, right? They knew, this, they knew the law. They knew the scriptures. People can rattle those things off. They can tell you about them all day long. And then you go look at their life and their behavior, and it doesn't, it doesn't indicate wisdom in what the information that they have. And when we talk about seeking after wisdom and all the language that he uses here in Proverbs chapter 4, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about grabbing onto those things that we hear about and then doing something about them, doing something about them. He said, don't let her go. Keep hold of that instruction. Guard her, she's your life. And that's what we're talking about here, striving after wisdom. Psalms chapter 119 and verse number nine, he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 
With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate upon your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The truth about all this is that we're going to fill our hearts with something. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a fact of life that you're gonna be thinking and dwelling upon something. You're gonna give thought to something that's important to you in life. And the balance and the challenge for the Christian is how do you move the needle on that? How do you, if you're looking at that like a scale, how do you tip the scale to where more of that each and every day becomes setting your sights on what God would have you to set your sights on? And it is a challenge. We're not making a lot of that this morning. It's a difficult thing to do. We all have real problems in life. We all have things that occupy our lives and cause us those problems. But the more we can tip that scale toward thinking about godly things, the more, the more that we will be able to guard our heart with it. And it's, a, and it's a difficult thing to do, but I think we can recognize that. And hoping, hopefully we've given some ideas and tools around that this morning here. But I like how he summed it up in this, in this one passage in Psalms. Because he talks about, he talks about, he uses that same word guarding there as well. And he talks about speech. He talks about seeking after the word. He talks about the wisdom. All these things that we talk about will help us to guard our heart. As we close, I want you to give some thought to your heart this morning. Where is your heart at? Think about the thought process that you have on a daily basis. What kind of things occupy your mind? What kind of things have set up shop and and own real estate in your mind? And think about the actions that those things produce. What do you spend your days thinking about and worrying about and doing? Where do those thoughts lead you to? Hopefully we've encouraged you and, and shown you this morning that we should move that more toward the God side of the scale. And we can take these things. We can think about controlling our tongue. We can think about using the things we talk about as a guide. Try to catch yourself this week. Think, you know, as you're talking about things, does that speech reflect a godly heart? Does that speech reflect an evil heart? And make corrections based on that and make changes based on that and strive to control those types of things and strive after the wisdom to do so. Psalms chapter 51 and verse number 90 said, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return unto you. This should be our prayer this morning, that that he would create in us a new heart, that he would cleanse us, and that we would seek to guard that heart as he's asked us to do that we would guard it and we would take it seriously and that it would be a priority for us as he's asked us to do. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a heart problem. We know that all men have a heart problem because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We wanna close this morning offering an invitation if there's some need that you have and you, you know that that heart problem is there. The good news is that as we read early in the, in the lesson that the heart is only continual only evil continually that there's a fix for that. And that fix is Jesus Christ. 
And we want to offer that invitation this morning. If, if you've never obeyed the gospel, hopefully you understand the condition of the heart this morning. If not, we would be happy to talk to you about that. But if you're here this morning and you have any other need that the church can help you with, we want to offer an invitation for that as well. If you would, come have a seat on the front as we sing this invitation song.